Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. No Cousin Shane, but you know why. That's right. It's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday on the show. Deep dive with Stephen. Previewed the upcoming games, talked about the games that were, but also kind of went all around the SEC with Stephen. Had a, a number of conversations that uh, just because this weekend's a slate, not the greatest. So I thought it was a, a, would be a good time to uh, kind of go around the league. But we do got one hell of a slate coming up week 10 week. So uh, the SEC just announced those kickoff times. We're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, before we do, arguably uh, the biggest storyline, Sam Pittman and firing Dan Enos. A lot of turmoil, I think, is a right word to use there in Fayetteville and this stat jumped out to me this comes courtesy of uh, ESPN college football analyst Tom Luganville Arkansas has had 21 one possession games under Sam Pittman the Razorbacks are 5 and 16 in those 21 games and uh so I <laughs> I mean you could spin that any way you want they're close but you know coaching dictates uh you know, these one, one score games, certainly. So not getting it done. And that's why Dan Enos is out. Kenny Guyton, the, the receivers coach, he's going to be the new offensive coordinator, play caller, and quarterbacks coach with KJ Jefferson there. So, uh, you know, normally we don't go to the press conferences this early in the week, but Sam Pittman, he had a lot to say. Uh, let's start with his decision to fire Dan Enos and kind of what all went into that. On Sunday, as uh, the drastic, drastic measures being taken here, following uh, just a terribly disappointing streak here for the Razorbacks. Coach, why do you think it didn't work? I mean, you talk about volume here just now, but what do you, what else played into it just not being a fit? I think a lot of coaching has to do with enthusiasm, spirit, uh, wanting to run through a wall for different people. And I just, we just really never had that on, on the offensive side of the ball. If you look at it defensively, um, you know, there's a lot of that there. Um, I think you can get guys to play better than maybe even what their talents are. Uh, if they believe in you and and to be honest with you until uh, this season that has been a uh, I think a positive about me uh, that you know guys seem to want to play and and those things of that nature and and uh, they've got it going on defense so I know that's possible to do Um, we have a lot of similar players that we've had in the past Uh, it just never clicked and it really never did. And uh, uh, so this is not a move to uh, for any other reason than it just wasn't working. And it's not a move to, to can the season. We've got a really good defense. If our offense can go out and function and function well, we still have games that we can win and we need to. And uh, so uh, I don't I can't really put a finger on it, except uh, there was it was just rough um, 
our kids weren't as motivated, and that can go on me as well. Our kids weren't as motivated to play as as what I have seen in the past. And, I mean, you could tell the way we took the field on Saturday that it was like, you know, and I can be, remember being on the headset going, "Are we? what are we doing? I mean, it's almost like a bum, 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 as we're going out there. And we were in the game the entire game. It just didn't feel like it. And uh, so, and I'll give Mississippi, Mississippi State had a great game plan and all that, but we didn't adjust. And uh, so, I don't, I, that would be the only thing. We've lost our spirit. And there's a lot to be said about that. With Coach. And one other thing I thought was pretty interesting from this uh, press conference, I'm, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but. A lot of people want to see offensive line coach Cody Kennedy gone as well. Sam Pittman has made it abundantly clear. He thinks Cody Kennedy is a good offensive line coach. That certainly remains to be seen. But And this is just me speculating. I don't have any inside knowledge here. But I think one of them had to go, Dan Enos or Cody Kennedy. And I think Sam Pittman chose his guy. And he may, you know, maybe Dan Enos was the problem. I'm not. I don't. I have no idea. It could could be both of them, for all I know. But um, Pittman had some other interesting comments. He's going to leave the defense alone. Defense is fine. It's the offense got to obviously turn it up a notch. Uh, listen to what Sam Pittman had to say here, and I'll give you my thoughts on it. I was just going to say, Coach, sort of building off of that, you've mentioned several times being involved in the meetings with Kenny. How much are you looking to have a hand in the game plan, or are you just sort of there supervising what he's doing? All of it. I mean, um, it's my butt on the line, you know. Uh, It's all of us, you know. I don't worry so much about losing my job. I worry so much about losing the building's job. You know, we got buyouts and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to buy out. I want to win. And uh, so I'm not saying I'm the know-all answer guy, but I damn sure need to get involved more, uh, and that's what I'm going to do. So the reason I really wanted to play that clip, because it says to me that Sam Pittman says, hey, I'm where's he going to help this team? He's going to help by coaching the offensive line. Now, he's not saying that. I don't know that for a fact. But if he's getting so intimately involved in the offense, hell, he ain't going to be coaching receivers or quarterbacks or anything like that, or even the running backs. It's, it's going to be that offensive line. So the fact that he kept Cody Kennedy, the fact that uh, you know he's saying he's going to get more involved, I'd be very interested to see what this uh, what this offensive line does for the rest of the season. And I mean, if it was an easy fix, I think they would have already done it. So I'm not anticipating. It's just going to be an immediate turnaround but they do got two weeks to to prep for this florida tough tough game at florida is their next ball game they're off this weekend but one other thing i just appreciate the fact that sam's putting this on him he, he doesn't give a damn about the buyout he wants to win he's he's at least saying the right things unlike many of these other sec coaches that uh, uh seem to be clueless when it comes to taking responsibility so uh, to get that, you got to coach better. You got to coach 
we got to get some more players and things. But I'm real confident that we can get it back to uh, what is a respectable plus for the for the state of Arkansas. And to be honest with you, that's really all I'm worried about. I'm not worried about my job. I'm not worried about. I'm worried about the damn state of Arkansas, and uh, and having them proud of our football team. And hell, I'm not right now, and I know they ain't, and I get it. Uh, but. It's, I'm the only one that can change it. So we're going to work like hell to get that done. Week 10 kickoffs. Wanted to get to that real quick before we get to our uh, long conversation here with Steven Lassen. But uh, the November 4th Week 10 match, th- this is going to be quite the slate. And obviously this is not this weekend. It's going to be the following weekend of SEC action. But we got eight games to digest on November 4th, starting with Texas A&M at Ole Miss. Noon Eastern on ESPN. That's a hell of a matchup there. A&M can't get over Lane Kiffin. This is going to be an opportunity for for Jimbo to get a big win, kind of swing momentum back his way, start winning some of those fans back over. Also, Noon Eastern, 11 Central, Arkansas at Florida on ESPN 2. So two great matchups here to start, start things off on the November 4th weekend in the SEC. But there's two other games, too. Jacksonville State at South Carolina, noon Eastern on ESPNU. So that South Carolina desperately going to need a win. And if you don't know, Jacksonville State, their head coach is Rich Rodriguez. So could be an interesting matchup. And UConn at Tennessee, that's the final nooner. Four nooners on November 4th. UConn at Tennessee, noon Eastern on the SEC Network. Doubleheader for CBS starting with uh, two epic, epic games. Cannot wait for these. Missouri at Georgia, 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central on CBS. That'll be the first one of the doubleheader. Auburn at Vanderbilt, 4 o'clock Eastern on SEC Network. Kentucky at Mississippi State, 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central, SEC Network. That's This is a nice little annual rivalry that uh, you know has gone back and forth over the years. And then the final... Game, the doubleheader here for the CBS. No surprise. LSU at Alabama, 7.45 Eastern, 6.45 Central. What a slate of games we have coming our way in the SEC November 4th. Cannot wait for these matchups. And I can't wait to kick it over here to our buddy Stephen Lassen. Let's kick it over to this great conversation. All right, hey, it's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday, our good buddy over there, Athlon Sports Senior Editor. How's it going, Stephen? Hey, Mike, it's going great. I appreciate you having me on each week. Uh, I was curious, what uh, what fan base is the angriest in the SEC as we uh, get ready to go into uh, week nine? Hard to believe we're already there. Yeah, well, it depends on what you uh, are specifically referencing, Stephen. If you want to talk officiating, uh, Tennessee, <laughs> hands down, they're the most pissed at the moment. Uh, I would throw South Carolina, Arkansas. Um, who else we got that's burning stuff down? Auburn. Auburn, we're firing Hugh Freeze already. It is uh, It's upset city in the SEC, I'll tell you that. And, and we ain't even close to being done with the season. That's like half the SEC. Let me check the Alabama message boards to read up on Tommy Reese's performance review at the midpoint of the season. I don't know. Mississippi State's offense. Uh, hey, it, it's uh, it's week nine. It's hard to believe we've already, we're have already we already at that point. Uh, 
but you know we're coming down the home stretch which i i think the month of november in the sec is going to be awesome because there's just not only it's the the end of season rivalry games which i don't want to wish to be here already but you also have so many high profile matchups coming up we've got some coaching stuff that's still out there so man the the month of november uh it's going to be pretty awesome around this uh this conference yeah we've had our first coordinator fired in the sec so we'll get we'll get into that i got a fun topic that i've asked steven to prepare for us on this show uh we're going to talk some of these teams that are fighting for their bowl lives uh and really games that will decide the sec race i've asked steven to kind of break those down before we get uh, finally into uh, some week nine previews. But before we get into all that, Stephen, uh, thoughts on uh, the weekend that was in the SEC. And I guess we got to start <laughs> with Alabama and their decaying dynasty staying alive for one more week here, beating Tennessee. Uh, thoughts on, uh, you know, one half of elite football from Tennessee and an even more elite half of football by Alabama in the uh, the half that really mattered. I hate to use the cliche, a, a tale of two halves. Um, or, uh, you know, it, it really was, though. And I, I certainly think early on in that game, you know, Tennessee had some missed opportunities. You know, you talk about just instead of kicking field goals, you score touchdowns. The pass that goes through uh, the receiver's hand, and maybe if Tennessee's up 21 to, to nothing at halftime, we're talking about a different game at that point. I think for... For Alabama, I think you have to give them a lot of credit this year for the, I don't know if mental resolve, the the Michael Myers of the SEC that no matter what you do to them, they just do not seem to uh, to stop. They just keep punching back every week. So I think while this Alabama team is flawed, I think they are, obviously they're closer to 10 this year in the rankings. We'll see what happens when they play LSU in a few weeks. But I think week in and week out, this team just keeps finding ways to win. I think they've gotten better since the start of the season, uh, but the same flaws on this team, the offensive line, I think you can throw the ball in the secondary. We'll see if that comes back to to haunt them when they play LSU in a few weeks. But really, tail of two halves, missed opportunities for Tennessee and for Alabama. I think it's just about that mental resolve of just continuing to find ways to win. Yeah, and um, we were talking off air, Pop, Pat Paul Saban. I mean, went over there to the student section, ran over there. I mean, I think he was saying goodbye to, to them, Stephen, because he knew, you know, and this is one of the final home games of his career. Am I, uh, am I going too far? What's your thoughts on that? I don't think that's crazy at all. Um, I mean, I, I'm all into the conspiracy theories, you know. I mean, we, 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 you know, we, we live for this coaching stuff to get really interesting in the month of November, and you see little things like that that make you wonder what's going on. I was, you know, just looking at their schedule, they get LSU, of course, and UT Chattanooga. So, I, I'm going to circle November 18th to see if that same victory lap <laughs> is there and how extensive it is. Uh, but I think, you know, certainly I think that kind of one of the themes for me as we go into November is the uh, the coaching and kind of questions around the SEC because nationally, now I think there are some programs. I mean, Jim Harbaugh might be an NFL head coach by uh, January. You know, we're at that point of Nick Saban's tenure where at any point it wouldn't surprise me if he retired. What does A&M do? You know, there are some other programs. So we only have two jobs right now that are open. 
and there's bound to be some more turnover. So I think to to your point, I am reading everything into these things and, and going to be believing every little uh, sign and conspiracy theory until we actually get to, to that end of season. And Nick Saban says he's back in uh, 2024. So reading in between the lines, sounds like Steven is reporting Nick Saban back to Michigan State where it all started at the big power conference level. Well, you know, West Virginia's head coach is also on the hot seat. So <laughs> Nick Saban back to West Virginia. To no, that's, finish that's Jimbo's career. job. Jimbo right, will be taking right. it here in a couple. He's said right. it publicly, but let me ask hey, you about. We're, uh, we're all in, we're all into throwbacks like uh-huh. helmets and jerseys and logos. And, you know, I know Mississippi State, Arkansas was a nice tribute to the Jefferson pilot era of SEC <laughs> football. I mean, why not throw it back with the coaches too? Nick Saban at Michigan State, you know, yeah. Jimbo to West Virginia. <laughs> I, well, we'll talk about that travesty of a football game in just a second. But I, I did want to ask you about Tennessee. Uh, Joe Milton, I thought, at least for a half, I mean, that was the best game I, I think he'd played all season. Uh, they didn't finish the deal, so I, I don't really know that you, you take too much from that. But anything that you saw from Joe Milton and Tennessee in that first half, that gives you confidence that uh, – because upcoming, Stephen, they got Kentucky on the road, Missouri on the road – Georgia at home. Uh, anything that you saw, and, and maybe I maybe let's throw that Georgia game out for now because Georgia's hell until they actually lose a game. I, I don't know that anyone can beat them. But uh, at Missouri, at Kentucky, anything you saw from Joe Milton in Tennessee, at least for a half, that gives you confidence that uh, that maybe they can get things right on the road. Yeah, I I think so. I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you have to be at least be encouraged that Joe Milton in the passing game for a half went on the road to Tuscaloosa and played pretty well. Um, now, obviously, there were some you know mistakes and you know missed passes from Milton, and some receivers could certainly step up. But early in that game, you know, I was thinking, man, this is a totally different uh, Joe Milton. Like the receivers that have been inconsistent this season were making plays. Like it was a totally different Tennessee. Often, So I think the optimism, if I'm a Tennessee fan, is can you recapture what you saw in the first half against, you know, Kentucky, Missouri and Georgia? And I think there are some things you can build upon. Now, the the road slate is tough. There's no doubt about it. And you get Georgia, arguably one of the nation's best defenses. But if you were looking for progress, I think you can say that there was some progress in the first half to to make this Tennessee team um, more complete. Uh, offensively because we know they can run the ball and they're playing pretty good defense right now. So I think, I think if I was a Tennessee fan, I would be more optimistic about Milton after that first half. Granted, you got to see 60 minutes, but the 30 was a step in the right direction. Well, speaking of progress, Stephen, that's what they're doing at Missouri seven and one best start since uh, they entered the sec and they won the East that year back in uh, what was it? 2013, but Missouri just, Put a whooping on South Carolina at home, thirty-four to twelve, in a their most complete game. Just completely dominated the Gamecocks. And I guess we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute here. But Missouri, Georgia, looming—that's Missouri's next game. They get two weeks to prepare for it. Uh, what's your thoughts on Missouri and what they're building? And I have to imagine, Stephen, that. Uh, you know, not that you'd be outright picking them to win in Athens, but I have to imagine, as we're recording this, October 23rd, your confidence that they could do it has got to be significantly higher now than it was 
at the start of the season. 100%. So if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season, I probably would have said zero chance to go into Georgia and win. Um, granted, they they played Georgia really well last year in Columbia, had them on the edge of an upset. So we shouldn't totally dismiss, you know, we shouldn't totally dismiss Missouri going down to Athens and playing well. But I think what they've done this year when we get to the actual games gives you some confidence that, hey, maybe it will be a game in Athens um, in two weeks. And and I love the fact that if you're Missouri, they've been finding, I wouldn't say necessarily different ways to win, but, you know, Cody Schrader had a huge game on Saturday, you know, over hundred, I think over 150 rushing yards. They got six sacks against Spencer Rattler. You know, the, the passing game, the last was a couple of weeks has not been as explosive maybe as we saw at times, but they just keep finding different ways to win. And they've now played eight games hitting the off week with two weeks to prepare for Georgia I mean, if if you're Missouri, this is like I don't want to say like a dream season because you're just a couple plays away from from being eight and zero and beating LSU. But I mean, to be sitting here at seven and one with a chance to to play for the SEC East in two weeks that that's a that's a great season so far from Missouri. Yeah, and now on the flip side, not a great season for the Gamecocks. Things are, I mean, to put it mildly. Uh, in neutral, <laughs> uh, but you know, a, a backslide. Let's, let's call it what it is. Uh, thoughts on on what they're doing there in, in Columbia because of the defense is a travesty. The offense outside of uh, Spencer Rattler and Leggett is is essentially just as poor. Um, and this is year three. You know, you th- you think we're taking steps forward, yet we're taking steps back. I guess my real question, Stephen, is how concerned are you? that uh, that this can get turned around. And it's probably not going to get turned around this season, but but just projecting ahead, uh, the, you know, Shane Beamer, do you, do you have confidence in him to to turn this ship around? Yeah, right now I do, um, because he's been Mr. November the last two years. And so I still think with the four games they have at home to finish the year, they have a chance to make a run and potentially get bowl eligible. If you ask me at this point, the odds probably dwindled a little bit watching them against Missouri. You know, I think they're probably going to end up five and seven, but I think the biggest problem for this team is, I mean, they lost juice. Wells, Leggett got hurt the offensive line. They lost Jalen Nichols in the preseason. They've been banged up starting freshman. Um, you know, you look on the defensive side, you lose a couple corners that were outstanding from last year. The defense kind of falls apart in the back end. I think the line of scrimmage is kind of where I'm looking to see where this team can go in the offseason. Like, can they fortify the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball going forward? Because that's been a real weakness uh, this season. And, of course, I think as as we start to hit the, the final stretch of the season, I think you start thinking ahead to next year, and Spencer Rattler is going to be throwing passes in the NFL. So it is going to be, I think, important for this team to finish on a high note as we go into next year because of some of the questions. And I think it would not surprise me at all um, to see South Carolina probably pretty active in the portal as they look to fill some of these needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about uh, Ole Miss going on the road, beating Auburn? Sloppy, ugly game. You know, a win's a win, particularly on the road. They're not easy to come by in this conference. Uh, Did you come away impressed by Ole Miss or – because I, I still, I have no clue what to make of them, Stephen. I mean, it was it was tied up in the fourth quarter, I believe, going going into the fourth quarter. Now they dominated the final stanza, I and mean, that's all that really matters. But uh, 
I mean, Auburn was it was is just pathetic on offense. So I don't really know what to take away from this result. You might think I'm crazy for saying this, but I think that's actually a pretty good win for Ole Miss. Hear me out. <laughs> I think, first of all, weird things happen at Auburn, night games against SEC opponents, or weird things just happen at Auburn to, to favorites. And the fact that that series had been so one-sided in favor of Auburn. Um, you know, I think for Ole Miss to go in there, kind of p- not play its best game, and still find a way to win. You know, it's it's hard to win games, like you said, in this conference. So I think it says something that Ole Miss didn't play its best game, and they still found a way to win at a spot that they haven't had a lot of success recently. Now, the flip side of that is you could say, if they, if they just don't turn the ball over, if they finish drives, we're talking about a completely one-sided score, and it's not even close. There's meat on the bone there for Ole Miss to to play better. But I think if you can, in a spot where I had worries about maybe Auburn pulling off the upset to go in there and to to find a way to win when you played maybe your C-level game, I think that's a good win for for Ole Miss. But feel free to call me crazy on that one. (laughs) Well, all right. How about the other side then of Auburn? Does that mean you're impressed with Auburn? Because I... I don't know what in the world they're doing on the offensive side of the ball. I don't, I don't know if you caught it from the broadcast, but they said, you know, when Robbie Ashford's in the game, Hugh Freeze calling the plays. When Peyton Thorne's in the game, Philip Montgomery's calling. Like this, this is like high school stuff. Like, and and they're not getting any better on, on the offense. They seem to be getting worse under this coaching staff. And and maybe it's fair to say they don't have a full deck. I mean, to put it kindly, of the players they have to work with. But, hell, we've, we've seen Josh Heupel. Yeah, we've seen Shane Beamer. We've seen uh, Brian Kelly. We, we've seen coaches kind of come in with, with a similar situation, and it it's not this bad. I think uh, for on Auburn's offense, I think two things are true here. I'm surprised that they have struggled as much as they have this year. I, I thought – with the portal acquisitions all across the board, that they would just be better this year. They wouldn't be at the top of the SEC, but they'd be better than last year. And, you know, you go look statistically from this year compared to last year, it's not much better. And it's might be some, it might be worse in some areas. Um, it, it is, it's hard because, you know, Peyton Thorne, when he was at Michigan State, was pretty solid, um, especially when they were able to give him a good running game. And, you know, Jarquez Hunter had a, had a you know great game on Saturday night. And I think maybe that's one of the keys here for Auburn is finding more ways to, to get Hunter more involved, uh, more touches going forward. But the whole operation offensively, whether it's offensive line, uh, receiving core has underachieved, even some of the transfer additions they brought in, the two quarterback system. You know, it feels like you know, if you listen to Hugh Freeze, that they have more confidence in Peyton Thorne executing the offense. And, you know, you saw, I think, some criticism of the way Robbie Ashford handled uh, one of the early running plays. I think he was supposed to give it um, and he didn't. And so I think there, there's a lot about this offense right now that just is not adding up to me. I think if you, you know, Auburn, a lot of Auburn fans frustrated with Philip Montgomery. But to me, this is a collective effort. Like Hugh Freeze has been, uh, you know, head coach calling plays before. Montgomery's been a successful offensive coordinator. I think some of it's probably personnel and scheme not quite matching up and some of this is it's a it's also a lesson too i think in this era of college football where you can bring in 
a ton of players to the portal. Sometimes when you try to make it all work in one off season, it just doesn't. So I, I think it, it, I'm, I'm surprised at where this is at. And I, it's, you look at their schedule, they play Mississippi state, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and New Mexico state. So it might get a little bit better. I don't think it's going to get much better overall this season. I think they kind of have what they have the rest of the year. Hmm. Well, let's hope that's not the case with these. I, I guess I didn't realize, Stephen, that the Big Ten has expanded into the SEC, but that apparently is the case with Mississippi State and Arkansas. Seven to three, just a god awful game. I, I tried, I watched the highlights. I, Did you fall asleep? I mean, it's not. <laughs> It, it's not fair to even call them highlights. I mean, it was, it's like clips from the game that are just awful. But, uh, I mean, what what do you make of this travesty of a football game that we witnessed over the weekend, uh, Mississippi State beating Arkansas 7-3? And I've heard Mississippi State fans even say, you ain't giving us enough credit. You deserve no credit for, for that. <laughs> you had one drive, and, okay, cre- credit for a drive, I guess. But, I mean, I... No, I I would I would not claim that game if I was a fan of of either one of these. Yeah, I mean, two point nine yards per play for Arkansas, four hundred and five total yards between the two teams. I mean, that's like a that's a good day for for Jaden Daniels when you go to four hundred five yards in a game, and these two teams are combining uh, for four hundred five yards. I mean. I joked about it earlier. It said offensive football back like 15 years in the SEC. I mean, this is like 11 a.m. JP Sports, three days kicking the game off and and you know fighting for bowl eligibility. That's that's what this was. Um, but no, I, I think first of all, it is a good win for Mississippi State because it moves them one step closer to bowl eligibility. And you look at their schedule; there are some opportunities I think for them to get to six wins. On the flip side. I, I understand where Mississippi State fans are are going with the defense angle. It's hard to give a ton of credit to a defense when you see what Arkansas offensive line was doing on Saturday. Um, KJ Jefferson was just basically under fire anytime he dropped back. I mentioned it less than three yards per play. Um, it's a good win for Mississippi State considering what the goal should be at this point. But on the flip side, it's just it's just was a very very awful ugly. Uh, offensive game in the SEC. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of glad that uh, you know it, it sounds like you're already kind of eyeing bowls for a lot of these teams. So I wanted to ask you. I, I do want to ask you about Dan Enos here in just a second, but uh, real quickly, Stephen, chances that the following teams. I, I got five here that I'm thinking in the SEC out of zero to a hundred. Obviously, zero zero means zero percent. Uh, Zero to a hundred. What percentage do you give Auburn to make a bowl game as they sit here uh, coming off of the loss to Ole Miss? I'm going to say 75%. I think at three wins, if you give them a win over New Mexico State and Vanderbilt, that gets them to five. And you ask them to beat Mississippi State or Arkansas, I think that's doable. Uh, it's certainly not going Alabama. to be. <laughs> Right, right. It, it, the SEC West might go down to that final uh, week, regardless of what happens in uh, on uh, November fourth with Alabama and LSU. So, yeah, I think as as ugly as it is offensively, there's enough winnable games there uh, for Auburn to get to six. All right, how about uh, same question, Arkansas zero to a hundred? What percentage chance do you give the Razorbacks 
to making a bowl game? If you would have asked me last week, I probably would have said closer to 50-50. I think it's probably like 10% now. You look at their schedule, FIU on November 18th is by far the most winnable game. And they're going to be underdogs against Missouri and certainly at Florida. Auburn, I think, could be closer to a toss-up game. It's hard for me to think that they can run the table the rest of the way in those four games with the way they played and with some, we'll see what happens with the offense, but it's hard to believe that this team could just do a complete turnaround at this point. Yeah. And you kind of hinted at this already, but same thing, Mississippi state, big win, took a a step closer. Uh, What percentage chance do you give the Bulldogs? I'm going to go with about 75%, kind of the same thing uh, as Auburn. I think sitting here at four, they should beat Southern Miss uh, before the Egg Bowl on November 18th. That gets them to five. So they just need to pick off one of Auburn, Kentucky, Texas A&M, or Ole Miss. I think they can find one out of that stretch. If they can get everyone healthy, um, you know, we kind of we joked about how uh, the defense, I don't know how much credit – especially with the way Arkansas is playing. But if if they can get better play out of the secondary to go with maybe the offense sort of stabilizing over this last stretch, I think they can get to six. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, South Carolina? Probably about 25%, a little bit higher, I think, than Arkansas because of those last four games at home. I think they'll beat Jacksonville State, and I think they'll beat Vanderbilt, which means it comes down to Kentucky and Clemson. Clemson looks more and more winnable as every week goes on. Uh, so maybe it's the Kentucky game that uh, this game uh, that their season comes down to, whether they finish five and seven uh, or six and six. Joked about it earlier, but Shane Beamer has been very good to down the stretch of the last two seasons. So if they can find just enough combined with home games, Spencer Rattler maybe getting hot down the stretch. It's not out of the question. It's just going to be tough, I think, to win the last four and get to six. All right, and then the last one I wanted to ask you about, Stephen, the fighting Jimbo Fishers and A&M. I mean, I'm kind of half kidding, but not really. Chances they make a bowl game because you could – hell, if they lose on Saturday to South Carolina, I mean, I I think the wheels completely fall off, and I don't think they make it. Uh, What percentage chance do you give A&M? Do you think if – Texas A&M loses on Saturday. They should politely escort Jimbo Fisher to a side room at Kyle Field and escort him off the premises after, just like they did with Brett Bielema at the end of, what is it, 2019? Yeah. I mean, they fired it right after the game. So, I mean, if he loses that game at home, yeah, to this team, you know, put him out of his misery, pay pay him whatever he's due, send him packing, because uh, maybe we can get interim Bobby Petrino here to turn this ship around. Yeah. In, interim Bobby Petrino, who does well enough to be the Arkansas offensive coordinator, would be like the ultimate SEC fan fiction uh, that we could possibly uh, conjure up here. I, I'll go with 99% here for Texas okay. A&M. I'll leave the 1% door open because uh, for for our uh, our criticism of Jimbo Fisher. So I think A&M getting South Carolina, Mississippi State at home, plus Abilene Christian, I think they can definitely find two in there. All right, so I, I said we'd talk Dan Enos, Stephen, what he last uh, six, eight games, I think, uh, there at Arkansas. Just it, just an abject failure. And, uh, well, before we get into this, what, what was your thoughts on the, on Arkansas making that move? Any surprise? Uh, 
uh, and, and just you know when you when you saw that come across your your news feed there on Sunday, what what was your reaction? You know, I I actually think it's I mean I think first of all I think it's a good thing for Arkansas. It's clear it's not working, so try something and shake things up. I think, and, and this is going to sound a little weird, but I, I give Sam Pittman credit for actually making the move. Because you see so many coaches sometimes who could just say, we're just going to keep going to the end of the season. We're going to evaluate after the season. It's execution. It's this or that. I give him credit for doing it because it's costing what Arkansas almost $3 million. And it's clear that something's not working. So try something different and don't waste any time. And so I, I, I give him credit for actually making the move and not waiting to the end of the season. You have two weeks to get ready. For your next game. Uh, I don't know how much Kenny Guyton can really do in that short term. It's a tough ask considering the personnel, but someone new, a new voice leading the offense over the last four games. I think it's worth a shot for Arkansas. You have nothing to lose because if he wasn't, if Enos wasn't going to come back anyways, don't waste your time, make the move and start over right now. Yeah. Well, I asked you ahead of time, Stephen, to, to come up with a list of just the worst SEC coordinators that you can think of during your time. I, I got a list of my own, but I'm curious to see how many of these guys will be on your list. So uh, just any that stand out, as long as you've been covering this, just who are the, who are the, and I guess we got to put Enos on the list, even though he's, he has accomplished some things in his time, but it's just been so pathetic. I mean, if you would have told me in the preseason, I, I hate to rehash all this, but if you would have told me, Stephen, that Arkansas defensive turnaround, leading the SEC in takeaways, I said, "By God, we got us a, a hell of a team." Because I, I never even considered. I mean, I, I did think that KJ in a new system that may not be as good as some people were hyping it up, but never, never in a million years did I think. The offense would be the thing that's holding Arkansas back, yet it clearly is. So uh, who's on your list of some of the worst coordinators that you can recall in the SEC? I got a long list of them. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> uh, I will say one thing about some of these names is I sort of consider guys more like bad coordinator hires who were there for one year, and mm -hmm. that was it. Like if you were like everybody gives Todd Grantham grief and Bill O'Brien – there's, they have a little bit more of a track record. I'd put them kind of in the middle that yeah, they were okay, but certainly not one of the better ones. How about the most anonymous SEC offensive coordinator ever, David Ray, who was at Vanderbilt, uh, <laughs> who was lost the offensive coordinator job at some point in the offseason or between game one and game two of Vanderbilt in Clark Lee's first year. Um, I bring that up because it's, it's strange to me that he was completely anonymous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's probably a reason why he lost his job early in the year. Brian Schottenheimer at Georgia, 22.9 points a game at Georgia. Uh, you know, I think w puzzling from the start, the results on the field definitely uh, matched. I think what we all kind of wondered going into the season. Yeah. He was on my list for sure. Yeah. Uh, how about another one? Rich Gangarello uh, from mm -hmm. So it, I mean, the drop off from Liam Cohen to Rich Scangarello uh, was massive. Uh, so he was easily uh, one of the guys on here. Carl Durrell at Vanderbilt. He was Derek Mason's first offensive coordinator. Uh, somehow his 12.8 points a game 
in SEC play was enough for Colorado to hire him later on as its head coach. So <laughs> just think, <laughs> Mike, you know what? We're, we're in the, we're close to Halloween. I want to be a fired head coach one day. That's my dream job. <laughs> I just want to live the buyout life. <laughs> uh, so I got, a, I got a few more here for you. Any of those stand out? Uh, I had Rich Scangarello certainly on my list. I mean, the highlight of his time at Lexington was they figured out he looked like Steve Zahn, the actor, <laughs> right. and they did a stupid skit with him. Uh, that's the only memorable thing, aside from uh, some of the, the players publicly saying the offensive coordinator was holding them back. I, that's pretty rare to see, uh, but that that kind of was the highlight of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed the little skit with uh, Steve Zahn, though. They, that, was, that was good. Um, how about LSU offensive coordinators after Joe Brady, like Jake Peets? That was mm-hmm. a big step back. Um, also, Bo Pelini at LSU. Yeah. What a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Matt Canada, for those of us who might uh, keep up with the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, a disaster <laughs> in the NFL, a disaster at uh, at LSU. How about any offensive coordinator, for the most part, that Will Muschamp hired at Florida or South Carolina? <laughs> uh, Charlie Weiss, Brent Pease. I mean, I could we could go on. There was there were several of them. Um, who was Peterson? the guy? Do you remember he hired? Um, he hired, he was, I think he was his last Florida coordinator. And then when he got to South Carolina, he hired him again. And his famous quote was, if I had hired this guy sooner, I'd still be at Florida. Do you, do you remember that guy? Kurt Roper. Yeah. That, yeah. Thank you. I was like, good. and then his, his ass was gone pretty quick for South Carolina too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Will Muschamp hire your offensive coordinator. That's, uh, uh, also what about Steve Wilkes at Missouri? Uh, you know, a guy came to a high pedigree from the NFL. He's been, you know, pretty solid in the NFL. Came yeah. to Missouri and was just an abject disaster and got booted uh, before the season was over. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I had to mention uh, Peter Sermon at Mississippi State. He was a defensive mm-hmm. coordinator for one season, gave up over 30 points a game. It seems he's been the defensive coordinator at Louisville, California. And Mississippi State and bad defenses seem to follow him everywhere he goes. I'm not really sure why people keep hiring him as their defensive coordinator. Uh, and I had to mention, for our good sake, Marcus Satterfield. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I, I left him off my list. I mean, what a, what a legend that guy was. Too many screens, man. Too many screens. Well, speaking of South Carolina, I, I got, remember, Lorenzo Ward, defensive yeah. coordinator, under Spurrier. Now he he was he lasted longer than a year, so maybe he doesn't deserve to be on here, but he was pretty awful. Uh Derek Dooley, I met I put him on mine. Mizzou, he got Barry Odom fired. I I know Barry Odom is still sore about that as, still, as Missouri's head coach. Still one of the most random offensive coordinator hires. <laughs> Derek Dooley is the Missouri. I don't think Derek Dooley had ever called a play. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know why he was the hire. Um another guy that's similar. Uh I don't I don't even know if you'll remember this guy, Stephen. Larry Scott. He was Tennessee's yeah. offensive coordinator in 2017. They didn't win a damn game in the SEC. That that that, that was puzzling from the beginning. Um, I a shout out. This guy's this guy's a legend at two schools, Tennessee and LSU. But he was a a, a legend for the wrong reason at two others, A and M and Arkansas. 
I just clued you in. Do you, do you know the who chief. I'm talking about? John Shaver. The chief is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was the hire that was going to save A&M and Sublin. And then he he was just so awful for Chad Morris. So I, I had to throw him on here. Do, do you remember when Chad Morris was hired? He said he was going to go out and get the best defensive coordinator. And there was there was the, the rumblings that it meant Brent Venables because you know Morris's ties to Clemson. It was John Chavis. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then two Tennessee ones. Uh, this guy he he got Philip Fulmer essentially fired, and he, he's he's actually turned into one hell of a head coach. You know who I'm talking about? Hit me with it, Dave Clawson, Wake yep. Forest. He for for whatever reason his scheme. Did not translate. Something with the offensive lineman couldn't understand it. It was one of the worst offenses I ever seen. And then uh, not long, I, th- I guess this was under Dooley. Dooley made a lot of bad choices. But Sal Sonseri, as defensive coordinator, was uh, I mean he he just ruined his his reputation forever as a defensive coordinator under Tennessee. So th- those were the guys that s- stood out to me as just being just awful coordinators. I, I don't know if this guy was awful as much as. He he didn't get the most out of the offense, and that's James Coley at Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, when they hired Todd Monken, it took that offense from being good to national championship level. Uh, yep. Good, I thought. I thought James Coley just like he he was the wrong hire for Georgia at that right time. He just didn't get enough out of that offense. So uh, Paul Rhodes also gave up uh, thirty six points a game as Arkansas's defensive coordinator in twenty seventeen. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. What a what a list there of of just some great. And I'm sure there's people screaming, "How could you forget so and so?" But that was a lot of bad coaches we yeah. just referenced. You know what? Yeah. Do, do you agree though? Like Bill O'Brien and like Todd Grantham, like they had their coaching warts, I would say, mm-hmm. but they were clearly better than some of these guys. That when, when you go one and done, or you only coach eight games as a coordinator, I think you're on the worst list. Well, yeah, and to your point, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Peter Sermon. I had forgotten all about him, but anybody that says that Todd Grantham sucks, they did not follow Mississippi State because they went from Peter Sermon to Todd Grantham. And not that they were like lockdown, but they were they were literally the worst defense in the SEC. Them in Arkansas were, were neck and neck worst defenses. And then in one offseason – Grantham made Mississippi State very respectable. Now I, I and hell even at Florida, I mean they were they had they they won a lot. Now it didn't hold up, but and and kind of the same deal at Georgia. I mean he, I I don't know maybe he can only do it for a couple of years before the players tune him out. I don't know, but he he's not awful. He's he he's a hell of a lot better coach than some than a lot of the everybody we just mentioned. I think I, I think I'd put him over. Yeah, I think also it was Tosh Lapoy uh, would be another one. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. great, great recruiter. But if you get did, I mean, Pete Golding took over the defensive signals that year. <laughs> Break from the show to let you guys know we're brought to you by my bookie. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Sign up with a sign up for an account over at my bookie with a promo code that S E C T H A T S E C, and they are willing to match. Your initial deposit up to 50% all the way up to a thousand bucks. So you could have up to fifteen hundred bucks in your account today with mybookie.ag. The only thing that makes college football better is betting on college football. Fade cousin Shane's picks. Go with my locks of the week. 
That's about as uh, I'm four for five this year. So that I'm, I, I put that on my bookie. They're willing me to victory week in, week out here on that SEC podcast. Proud to be sponsored by my bookie. Quick and easy withdrawals when you cash out big and you win big by listening to me and fading cousin Shane over at my bookie again. That promo code that SEC. This is the number one way for y'all to help the podcast this football season. We don't ask for much. We give you all this content for free. The least you could do, throw 50 bucks, 100 bucks on a MyBookie account. Make some money fading our picks over at MyBookie.ag today. Don't forget that promo code, that SEC. Same deal with uh, our friends over at Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports. And they got the college football. That's why we love Prize Picks. Head on over to Prize Picks. If you sign up with a new account with a promo code SEC, they're willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks, 100% deposit. So you could have 200 in your account today over at prizepicks.com. Don't forget that promo code SEC. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch. 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co. And use promo code that SEC T H A T S E C for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game time is the place for the last minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that SEC for twenty bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for twenty bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Then another thing I wanted to uh, to hit you up with, Stephen. Uh, the, the games. I don't know how many you have. It doesn't really matter, but uh, just. Just the games. I've, I asked you to rank them because uh, we're in the final, you know, f- several weeks here, and it's kind of sad to even think about. So I'm, I'm, tr- I'm not trying to look at the negative. I'm trying to look at the big time matchups here in the SEC, it, and it doesn't have to be this week, but it could be. It could be any of the games on the SEC schedule that will kind of factor and, and determine who wins each division in the SEC. Uh, what do you got for us, Stephen? Number one, I think is pretty easy. I think it's LSU at, at Alabama. I think not only was it interesting two weeks ago, it's gotten more intriguing because of some of maybe some of the improvement LSU has made defensively. Hard to know too much. I mean, Auburn, Army, what do you read into it? I think what I do read into it is Jaden Daniels and these receivers against Alabama's defense is going to be a, a dynamic 
entertaining, uh, interesting matchup. And I think the game that's going to decide the SEC West. So I think whoever wins on November 4th in this showdown wins the SEC West. And I think that's our number one game, the the most important game the rest of the way. And Ole Miss fans are screaming at you because they're, they're still in it. But they, they do got that trip to Georgia, which kind of – I think everybody's kind of chalking that up as an automatic loss. It's It's not, but who knows? That may be on your list here too. My number two game, and that kind of brings me to, I think, the Georgia question is, I want to see how they look this weekend minus Brock Bowers. And this list may look a lot different by Sunday morning if Georgia does not play well. But I think Missouri at Georgia, uh, November 4th, you know, basically circle November 4th as maybe the day the East and West divisions are decided in the SEC. But Missouri having two weeks to get ready for this game, uh, you also have uh, Georgia coming off the, the game against Florida. So interesting setup. I think Missouri's the second best team in the East. I love, uh, you know, I just, I think the it'll be a good matchup of Brady Cook and Luther Burden going down to take on Georgia's uh, defense. And then and just interested to see because of how last year's game went, um, Missouri's defense, you know, gave Georgia's offense some trouble. I'll be curious to see if they can do that once again. So uh, ask me next week, but I think Missouri at Georgia is our second most important game the rest of the way. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be one he- one hell of a ball game. Absolutely. Man, I mean, I, and I you can go down the list of uh, games that I, I put together here, and you can kind of look at, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, this game, Georgia, Florida. L- like I mentioned, I, I think – much of this list could be altered if Georgia doesn't look very good on uh, Saturday against Florida. Odds let, are small of that, of course. Let, let me ask you this, though, real quick, Stephen, on Missouri. What do you think gives them more confidence? The fact that they're playing so well and they're 7-1 and one, or the fact that they went toe-to-toe with Georgia last year in, in that matchup? What, what do you think will give them more confidence this season against the Bulldogs? I would probably say this year's team. Um, I, I think just because of how, I'm going to say different this team is, but I think offensively, this team is certainly better than they were last year. And we've seen how the last you know couple of weeks, how active this defensive line can be. And still overall, um, a, def- a defense that's one of the best in the SEC to go with an, a, a better offense, the the confidence level that they should be playing with after um, you know they beat Kansas State in a huge game, uh, went toe to toe with LSU, went on the road and beat Kentucky. I think it's the way this year's team is playing would give me more confidence than than what happened last year. But I think fair fair to wonder. I think uh, with kind of both sides in that one. Mm-hmm. So what's your number three game? Georgia at Tennessee. Uh, got a lot of Georgia uh, on this slate coming up. So, and kind of my my reasoning here is I feel like, to your point, I don't want to forget about Ole Miss here. But Ole Miss, I think, obviously would be an underdog at Georgia. If they couldn't beat Alabama, I'm not sure they're going to go into Athens and win unless Georgia doesn't play well uh, on Saturday without Brock Bowers. But I think Georgia at Tennessee with um, with everything that could be on the line, like I said, we'll see what happens with Georgia these next couple of weeks. Tennessee's got to play Kentucky, still going to have to play Missouri. If those shake out in favor of Tennessee, we could be looking at November 18th, uh, potentially deciding the SEC East uh, title. And maybe this isn't a fair question because we don't know here on October 23rd as we're talking, but if if Tennessee wins out, 
leading up to that Georgia game, it, it I have to imagine that, that would jump the Missouri Georgia matchup. One hundred percent. I I think right now, and this this probably won't age well, but I like Missouri to finish second in the SEC East, just a spot ahead of Tennessee. But I, I think the way that Tennessee played at Alabama on Saturday, like we talked about with the first half, the Joe Milton and some of the plays they made through the air. If they can replicate that on Saturday against Kentucky, um, you know, and Georgia's maybe a little shaky against Florida, you know, Tennessee at home with how we just saw them beat Texas A&M, uh, you know, uh, Neyland's going to be rocking for this one. So, uh, you know, I think the odds would maybe flip these two if, if depending on how these two teams go the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's the next one on your list? Tennessee at Missouri, uh, you know, <laughs> another SEC East showdown it, it, And right now. And, and I'll go back to kind of what I mentioned just a second ago, but I think this game decides second uh, in the East. I think Georgia is the front runner. It comes down to Missouri and Tennessee um, at Missouri. And if you think back to last year's game, I think there's a little extra spice with the, the maybe the late touchdown that Tennessee <laughs> scored. We'll see if uh, Missouri remembers that one, but e- either way, I think just intrigue for the second potentially second best team in the sec east and then we'll that'll be uh a week after missouri plays georgia so we'll get a good idea of kind of where those two teams size up yeah speaking of that tennessee missouri matchup from last year steven i think that's the last time joe milton completed a bomb i mean that's right yeah (laughs) i mean he was bobbing everybody maybe it was just the receivers i don't know but that for some reason is not in the playbook this year it wasn't or it's not so far. I think that's really been, um, or I guess I would say like, that's, that's what would, if I was a Tennessee fan, give me some confidence is that maybe Saturday's game is a step forward on the path to hitting those big plays that we saw out of this offense last year, because that really is the missing piece right now for Tennessee. I mean, defense is playing well, um, absent, maybe some of the things in the second half against Alabama, we know the run game as well. So if Tennessee can get that going, over the next couple of weeks when they play Missouri and when they're going to play Georgia and they get Kentucky uh, this week, you know, all of a sudden that could really, that could shake things up in, in favor of Tennessee. Yeah. Do uh, you have any other games on your list? Yeah, I've got at number five, I've got Ole Miss at Georgia. You know, we've, we kind of danced around Ole Miss a little bit here. I don't want to totally forget about them because if they go on the road and, and win this game, I guess you're going to have to retire the Lane Whiffin name. He's going to get he's going to get Kiffin <laughs> back the uh, the rest of the year. But that's the the one obstacle I think about when it comes to Ole Miss and the SEC West uh, title. Like if if you could sub out Georgia for you know South Carolina, we're talking about a different story down the stretch. It's just that I think it's going to be hard to go into Athens and win. So that that's why I have it a little bit further down the list. I've got Alabama, Auburn as well. Um, depending on what happens on Saturday uh, or next Saturday with Alabama, LSU, I just think Iron Bowl implications, an Auburn team with nothing to lose, an Alabama team with everything to gain. Uh, mm-hmm. Alabama still has to go on the road to Kentucky. So uh, there's some obstacles there still for Alabama. And, you know, I, I'll throw these out there, but I think AM at LSU, you know, if, 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 LSU beats Alabama in two weeks and then they need that game basically could seal uh, the SEC West in some, some scenarios, Georgia, Florida this weekend, just for rivalry, you know, how, how does Georgia look 
where does Florida stack up in this too? Um, and of course, don't want to forget about the Egg Bowl and uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. I know I'm throwing a bunch of games out there. Mike, any of those kind of stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, especially those rivalry games that because those are the ones people overlook. And I mean, it's kind of cliche to say, but it, it I mean, it's like throw the records out because you just you just never know what you're going to get. Particularly, I mean, I I would think the casual fan is probably rolling their eyes saying Ole Miss versus Mississippi State. Come on, that's a joke. But it's in Starkville rivalry. I mean, for for all the disappointment and, and hell Mississippi state could catch fire. I mean, all, all it takes is one to start that momentum going, but I mean, th- this let's call it what it is. This has been a disappointing season to date, but if they beat particularly, particularly if it's like 10 and one old miss, my God, they may give Barnett an extension right after it. You know what I mean? Cause they're like, you, you just ruin their perfect season, maybe a playoff, you know, they'll, they'll be so happy. So, uh, yeah, those things, and, and you know, you were talking about Ole Miss, t- Georgia. This is yet another reason why, thankfully, they're they're changing the schedules because I, I get it. Tennessee fans they always bitch. Well, we got to play Alabama and Georgia every year, and so does Auburn. But it's just it's nonsensical that, and we've been doing it for twenty years for some stupid reason. But it just imbalances the schedule so much, East and West. So. Uh, they unfortunately, Ole Miss gets the short end of the stick, but thankfully, this is going to be the last year that we have to do it that way. You know what? A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm on board. Get rid of divisions. Let's go to uh, to nine games and let's rotate uh, through teams and opposing campuses more. I think more SEC games are always better. Uh, to to go back to to what you said to about Ole Miss versus Mississippi State. I mean what's what's like this going to be like the third year and fourth year we're going to have like some coaching drama surrounding one of these teams <laughs> in this game but not only that i mean it it will mississippi state depending on how some of these games break out they may need this game to get bowl eligible so you have a desperate mississippi state team searching for bowl eligibility potential coaching implications in this one too um and also of course you know they won last year so they can get two in a row and sort sort of salvage their season, I guess maybe maybe best way to put it, and uh, make Ole Miss a little bit more disappointing every year, depending on what happens uh, in November. So the Egg Bowl was always super high on my list of rivalry games, even if they both were zero and eleven. I think it would still would be entertaining. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I kind of asked you all those uh, <laughs> those questions just because this weekend's slate, Stephen, not the greatest slate. Um, I mean, we're never gonna turn our nose to a, to an SEC football game. But, uh, you know, a couple of these games, I don't know, you know, how, how entertaining they will be. But that, that's not the case for all of them. And certainly not Georgia-Florida in Jacksonville game that, uh, you know, you just referenced. It's, heck, everybody, aside from diehard Florida fans, I would imagine, is just completely overlooking the Gators and their odds. But if they, if they were to win this game, and this is – Perfect example of what we were just talking about, rivalry games. I mean, there's been many many of these games where the one side was sure they're going to win it, and they don't do it. Uh, thoughts on Georgia, Florida, both of them coming off a bye. No Brock Bowers. That's obviously the big storyline. But uh, anything uh, else standing out to you with uh, this, this huge matchup in Jacksonville? I think the first thing is, you know, we just talked about the top 
like remaining games the rest of the year for, for the SEC. What if Florida wins this game? Then all of a sudden that game against LSU takes on a little bit more implications later this season. So um, th- there's a ton at stake here, I think, for both teams. I think there's more pressure, though, on Georgia just because, you know, they're number one or two, depending on on which uh, which rankings you look. I do want to throw a little bit of caution because I'm going to look ahead for just a second. Next week, we'll get the committee's first playoff rankings, and it would not surprise me if Georgia is not number one. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're if they're number three because of some how some of the things have worked out with the Big Ten this year. So I don't want to alarm any Georgia fans at this point. I know I'm looking ahead. You got to be Florida, but don't be surprised. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because by December, it's all going to work itself out. But I think that's kind of the, to me, the storyline is if you're Georgia, it's a, it's a game without Proc Bowers that you have a chance to make your final statement before the first committee's rankings come out. And you're going to do that. And I'm curious to see how they go about doing that. Are they going to use the receivers more? They're getting healthier at running back. Um, the offensive line could be closer to full strength here. There's a lot of reasons to think that Georgia can survive b- losing Brock Bowers for a couple games. There's no more preseason though for Georgia. This is their toughest stretch the rest of the way. So there, you can't you can't show up and play in the first half like you had against Auburn because Ole Miss, you know, Missouri, Tennessee, all these games get tougher from here. I think on the other side for Florida, you're kind of playing with house money a little bit. Like no one expects you to win this game. They're a two-touchdown underdog or so. There is pressure for Billy Napier to have a good showing here, but I also think if you're Florida, there is a little bit of, what do we got to lose? You know, I mean, like, you don't want to lose a rivalry game 49 to nothing, but I think you can play loose. Um, All the pressure's on Georgia. They're the higher-ranked team. And I think if you're Florida, you come off of that win over South Carolina with probably a little bit more confidence, a little bit more momentum going into the bye week, a chance to rest up and go play Georgia. So I'm curious to see how Florida plays with nothing to lose in Georgia without Brock Bowers. How are they adjusting uh, in the first game after losing him? And what style of game do you think would favor a potential upset for the Gators? Would it be a a low-scoring game with, with it, Georgia not having Brock Bowers or – would it be a high-scoring game with, uh, you know, you get your running game going, you got Graham Mertz, Red Hot, Ricky Pershaw, un- unguardable. Uh, which way would you lean on that? It's a tough question because it's almost like you you could probably make a case for either one. You know, in, in a high-scoring game where things are kind of crazy, you know, maybe you get a you get a play like you did against South Carolina where the, the ball goes through the receiver's hands and the next guy catches it. I think if I was Florida, though, I would probably prefer a lower scoring game. But I could be convinced. Uh, high school. What, what do you think? You think low scoring is probably better? Um, no. I, I gotta be honest with you. No, I, I think, I think you have to. Yeah, I think you have to get in a shootout, and you have to hope that. Carson Beck makes a critical mistake without Bowers to lean on. I, I think that's the path. But <laughs> that's very easy for me to sit here and say because I don't think you can go up and down the field on Georgia's defense. So, But so, sometimes there, there's been many a game, Stephen, where we, we go into a game and we're like, my God, this defense, can it be scored on? And, and then they can't stop them. You know what I mean? Or, or vice versa. This offense, this is – LSU 2019, and then they, 
they muster 14 points. You know what I mean? So sometimes these big games kind of reveal true character, but I I think it I think you have to beat Georgia by a shootout. And and, and that's much easier said than done, I realize. But I, I think that's the method to doing it. In rivalry games, I guess anything could could happen too. Uh, to to your point, we you know we kind of touched on some of the crazy things that could happen and how you know teams sort of play above their potential or how they've played this year because of it's a it's a rivalry game. Yeah, you know, I guess the the reason why I would say low scoring is I think to the Auburn game. You know, it was lower scoring. Georgia kind of made some mistakes that allowed Auburn to hang around early. Um. That would be really my only reasoning, but I do think if you're Florida with the way the offense has been playing, especially, I mean, I know South Carolina's had a lot of issues defensively, but if you can get Graham Mertz hot and you can move the ball through the air, uh, ETN and Montreal Johnson are attacking sort of the edges like Auburn did in the run game, you know, maybe we maybe we are getting a higher scoring game uh, than we think here. But I, I go back to the Auburn game and I go back to the Missouri game is lower scoring and I'm also in my mind I'm thinking college football playoff CJ Stroud Ohio State they tried to move the ball up and down uh through the air and they had a lot of success too so I guess maybe there there could either way I guess there could be some paths there for Florida and is there any area of this football game that you think Florida has a clear advantage you know in position group or or coaching or anything at all it's hard to find one at this point. I think for I think <laughs> you know it's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, unless you're talking about sleep and getting a good night of rest, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, showing us all the importance of a good night of rest. I guess. Uh, no, I, I'm kidding. But I think if if you're um, think if you're Florida, I think the reasons to be optimism. If you're looking for a path for an upset, you know, I think uh, offensive line that's had two weeks to get healthy. You know, your starting center's been banged up. You get maybe everybody back at full strength. Georgia doesn't have a Jalen Carter right now on the, you know, in the middle of the defense, they've got a, they've got a good defensive front, obviously, uh, but no guy that's probably going to be first team all American at the end of the year. You've got a quarterback who's playing pretty well in Graham Mertz. He's been efficient. He's not making mistakes. He's coming off. I think maybe his best game at Florida. So I think Florida is trending up to some extent, and maybe that's the, you know, but combined that, with the fact you have nothing to lose, where you're an underdog by two touchdowns, you can just go out there and empty the bag of trick plays or whatever it is that uh, Billy Napier has in store for Georgia. All right, how about uh, Tennessee at Kentucky? You used to play for the coolest trophy in college football, the beer barrel. Now it's down to a bourbon bet that, that we've made here on this show. But uh, uh, thoughts on Tennessee coming off of a tough loss. Kentucky coming off multiple tough losses, but they've had two weeks to prepare. This is an opportunity for both these teams to, I don't want to say salvage the season. I, I think that's fair for Kentucky, but Tennessee, I mean, they they need this one too if they're going to have a really good year. You, you can't be losing these games. What What's your thoughts on this matchup? You know, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is I don't love the timing for Tennessee. You know, it's like their second – high-profile showdown. You think about the A&M game at home, the road game against Alabama last week. Kentucky's coming off the bye week, too. I think the timing favors Kentucky in this one. You look at the series, I mean, it's such a one-sided series. You know, Tennessee's won nine out of the last 11. Uh, the last three in Lexington were decided by one score. So I think we could be in for, a, you know, probably an entertaining game on Saturday. 
The other thing that stands out here too is it feels like these two teams are sort of maybe mirror images of each other. They have transfer quarterbacks, so you could argue have underachieved, led by the rushing attack, talented receiving cores that have been inconsistent, maybe underachieving at times. Uh, defensively, they're strong up front. Some question marks in the secondary, I think, for both. It's kind of it's kind of a weird setup here that I think every like on paper this matchup and timing and home field favors Kentucky. I think this is probably gonna, and I know it's simple to say this, is Devin Leary going to play better than he did, uh, you know, in, in the SEC play so far, or does Joe Milton build off what uh, we saw him do in the first half against Alabama? Yeah, and. It- I don't know if this is fair or not, Steve, because this is the Tennessee game. So I, I'm pretty sure the Kentucky fans will show up, but you never know. I mean, I, you know, obviously if this was three weeks ago, this this would have been one hell of an environment. But after both the losses they've had, I'm 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 curious to know how tough an environment this this really will be for for Tennessee to walk into. And, and again, I I realize night game. On the road, I'm not saying it's going to be a cakewalk, but I just think some of that, some of that airs out of that balloon, so to speak. Do you, what's your thoughts on that? So you're saying SEC Mike is saying that Tennessee is going to take over Kroger Field on Saturday night. That's what I'm hearing. Is that right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's discount aisle Kroger, you know, down there. That's I don't I don't know. I mean, these fans were all fired up about it, but they I haven't heard a peep from them uh, basically since the Missouri game. Man, I if I was a Kentucky fan, I'd be fired up for this one. I mean, you get a chance to beat Tennessee. Tennessee's gettable at your place. Um, and uh, I mean, and and ten- Kentucky's coming off the off week with a chance to maybe figure out or hit the reset button offensively in the passing game to to whatever is ailing Devin Leary from mispasses, whether whether people aren't, aren't on the same page. You know, you and Shane have talked about this. Like, I feel good about the the game plans that Liam Cohen is putting together every week but it's just not clicking in the passing game. So I think if I was a Kentucky fan, I'd be fired up regardless of what's happened in the last two weeks, you're getting Tennessee at your place and you get a chance to kind of spoil their season. Uh, yeah, I, I would be, I would be there at Kroger field if I was a wildcat fan. If this is tough, tough to answer probably Steven, but who, which team do you think has a better performance on the ground going up against each other's defenses here on Saturday night? And that's that's like the million dollar question here because as I'm trying to to project this game, it feels like you almost think both of these teams are good at running the ball, and both these teams are pretty good at stopping it. But you also kind of feel like Ray Davis and the Tennessee backs are probably they're probably going to get some yards in this game. So, man, it, I hate to give you a bad answer, but it really feels like a coin flip uh, here. I, I will say if Kentucky runs the ball like they did against Florida. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they're they're going to win this game. So I think for Tennessee, it's all about stopping Ray Davis and making Devin Leary beat you. Yeah. All right. How about uh, South Carolina at A and M, Stephen? South Carolina won last year. It was their first win over A and M as an SEC opponent. Can they make it two in the two in a row and send Jimbo down the river? Man, this is going to be tough for South Carolina to go. If if this was at Williams Bryce at night like it was last year. I could talk myself into another upset of, uh, of A&M. I think it's just going to be so tough, though, for South Carolina's offensive line with the struggles it had against Missouri to be able to contain Texas A&M. If they can, 
you know, we've seen uh, a couple weeks ago, Alabama had success through the air against this Texas A&M secondary. I think Spencer Rattler, provided that he has enough healthy weapons, I think could make some plays to the air. That's the path to me for an upset for South Carolina. It's Spencer Rattler having a big game, maybe a play or two on special teams. That would be the the upset uh, path. I think A&M's defensive line, though, coming off the off week, I think A&M's probably just going to be too much at home. Mm-hmm. How about uh, Mississippi State-Auburn, Stephen? Does, does either team score 14 points? Speaking of uh, setting offensive football back, <laughs> we, this this is another 17-10, uh, uh, 13-10 kind of game. Uh, what Maybe we could throw it back to the 3-2 to two, uh, game, too. So a uh, lot of possibilities between two teams that are averaging about 17 points a game offensively right now in SEC play. I think... The storyline for me in this one is just simply it's important for both teams in terms of getting to six wins. It's a winnable game uh, for both sides of it. So interested to see the quarterbacks here, too, because you have uh, Mike Wright, who started last week, did exactly what Mississippi State needed. Does Will Rogers come back this week? And if you're Auburn, like the Peyton Thorne, Robbie Ashford combo, however uh, you know, can you get anything through the air? Because the plays we've seen Mississippi State's secondary outside of the game against Arkansas last week, they can give up some yards. And if you can get something here for Auburn at home, uh, even in a series that's five and five in the last 10, um, this is a pretty favorable spot for Auburn as it tries to get bowl eligible. And then last one, Stephen Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. You're Sitting here wondering, can Ole Miss beat Georgia and Athens? I'm wondering if they can beat Vanderbilt at home and get that Lane Whiffin name back. Uh, any any shot Vanderbilt pulls the epic epic upset. Well, I think if you wanted to make a case for them too, I think they're desperate. You know, they haven't won a game in SEC play this year, and also they played you know from the start of the season up until last week. You know, they, I think they kind of ran out of steam. Um, you know, they're certainly a young team. I think proven depth is a question mark. So I think the off week, getting a chance to hit the reset button is probably a good thing for this team. Um, and you also have uh, the type of playmakers at receiver, and either if it's Ken Seals or A.J. Swan, you know, there probably are some plays to be made against um, Ole Miss's secondary. So I think for, for Ole Miss, they'll have to fight the desperate team looking to get a victory. I think if you're Ole Miss, you look at it as, you know, this this is our playoff at this point. Like, we have to win every game the rest of the way to get to the SEC championship game, knowing that they're probably not going to look at the Georgia game like we do, but they can't afford to slip up here, uh, especially in the spot where they're heavily favored and at home. So I, I think Ole Miss takes care of business, but I think they're going to get a very feisty Vanderbilt team off the bye week. And I'm going to put you on the spot because last week you told me I could do this now. So any, and we don't need exact predictions or anything like that. Any of the games you're not ready to, to call or anything like that, but any of these that you're particularly feeling strong about that, that you think will, will win this weekend in the SEC. Feel pretty good about Ole Miss winning. Now watch this not age well. <laughs> uh, I'll take I'll take Ole Miss. Uh, maybe I should wait to make. I should see you guys make your picks. I know the Grim Reaper is going to be this Saturday uh, in the SEC. But no, uh, I, I'm going to take Ole Miss. 
I'm going to take Auburn at home. Not a ton of confidence in that one. That might be my uh, Morristown Honda pick of the week <laughs> right there. Uh, so Auburn to to beat Mississippi State. Pretty confident Georgia in A&M and honestly have no idea about Tennessee and Kentucky. I probably would lean Tennessee close, but that's probably the one that I feel least confident in uh, going into this week. Mm, your cousin Shane, he's just clutching that bourbon this week because he because <laughs> he's afraid to send it off. But uh, hey, we went a little bit long, so I do appreciate you, Stephen. Anything else uh, while we have you here? Before any final uh, thoughts from you? Yeah, I, you know, I mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, we are at the point of the season where the playoff rankings come out, and this is sort of my annual PSA: is you know, don't get. Let's try not to get our blood pressure up too much about the rankings because they are going to change so much from Halloween until December, whatever it is that the final ones come out. And so, I, the reason why I brought up Georgia is it wouldn't be surprising to me to see them at two or three, which could be a good thing for Kirby Smart. He could use it as the disrespect card the rest of the year. But it is that time of the year uh, where the playoff rankings come out, and there's still a lot to play for. Obviously, for Georgia, if Alabama wins out, there's still a lot of interesting scenarios. So prepare yourself uh, for the committee's playoff rankings uh, on Halloween night. And uh, last thing, Stephen, before you go, can you tell uh, the audience, in case they've uh, maybe this is their first time catching you, where can they follow you and where can they find your work online? Absolutely. So you can read all my work at AthlonSports.com. You can check us out also on the Cover 2 podcast. We come out every Wednesday. We preview everything across the country. So if you want to talk about Jim Harbaugh's sign stealing up at Michigan or what's going on in the Pac-12, we got you covered. It's the Cover 2 podcast uh, by Athlon Sports. And you can follow me on uh, Twitter at AthlonSteven. And I'm also on YouTube at AllCFB365. All right, Stephen, uh, thank you so much. And uh, can't wait to catch up next weekend to preview uh, what is going to be a, a historic week of games here in the SEC on, uh, what, what is it, November 4th, right? Absolutely, yeah. Looking forward to it. It's going to be the, the two showdowns in the East and West. It should be a, a big Saturday of action. I look forward to catching up with you next week. Absolutely. All right, I'll cut it right there. All right, so just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show Great conversation. Hope you guys appreciated that as much as I did. Cousin Shane, be back on the next episode. But we got some things cooking for the next episode, so stay tuned for that. But uh, I do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out, and we'll catch you on the next. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.